Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before your glorious throne this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come asking for your grace, your help, your guidance, your power to be present and active in our midst this morning. Your word says that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And we pray that you would do one or more of these things in the hearts of every individual here today. We commit this service to you. Our desire is to honor and glorify you. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, after the birth of Jesus Christ, mankind began to measure the years of human history with the abbreviations B.C. and A.D., B.C., of course, meaning before Christ, and A.D. actually representing the Latin words Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. So Abraham, for example, was born in 1993 B.C., whereas we are currently in 2023 A.D., or in the year of the Lord, 2023. And what's interesting is that despite the world's obvious hostility toward Jesus Christ, human history is still measured with the birth of Jesus as its focal point. But have you ever thought about how each of us who are believers in Christ have a B.C. and an A.D. in our lives as well? We had our life before we believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and we now have our life after we have come to know Christ. And the New Testament teaches that the difference between our B.C. and our A.D., is as stark as the difference between night and day. For example, we were in the kingdom of darkness. Now we are in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear Son. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now God has made us alive in Christ. As unbelievers, we were at enmity with God, but now, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and on and on we could go. Truly, as Christians, we are, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In other words, we are not what we once were. Praise God for that, right? <clears throat> the Christian life definitely has a B.C.A.D. element to it. And that is one of Paul's main points here in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. As we've seen, we were slaves to sin before Christ. Now we are slaves of righteousness, having been set free through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So please turn in your Bibles with me today to Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, uh, page 915 in the Pew Bibles. But just so you know, I am using the ESV uh, this morning. Now, in the first verse of this passage, Paul asks a very similar question to the one that he asked back in verse 1 of chapter 6, which Chris looked at last week. Paul asks there, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then here in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And so basically, Paul is asking the question, well, since we're now under grace, 
do we have the freedom or the license to continue in sin? After all, the argument goes, since we're under grace, we'll be forgiven anyway, so why not? None of us is perfect. You know, I've often heard uh, that argument. Well, Paul's answer to that is the same as his answer to his hypothetical question in verse 1. He responds with an emphatic, by no means. Certainly not. Or in some of the older versions, we even have God forbid. Grace does not give us license to sin. Rather, grace leads unto godliness. When we think of God's grace, we often think of it in terms of our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we're familiar with this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But the working of God's grace in our lives does not end with our salvation. It continues to be active in our lives and our sanctification as well. We find that very clearly stated in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Titus is after 1 and 2 Timothy, if you're looking. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So there's the salvation element there in verse 11. But verse 12 says, training us, or, or God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is God's grace which actually trains us or teaches us to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. His grace is training us and teaching us to do that in an ongoing basis in our sanctification. Somebody said, the grace of God does not relieve me of my responsibility to be obedient. The grace of God makes possible my obedience. So Paul is appalled by the very suggestion that grace gives us license to continue in sin when just the opposite is true. So first of all, we are not what we once were because God's grace continues to teach us, leading us into greater levels of godliness. Well, a second reason why we are not what we once were is that Jesus has set us free for or unto obedience. We've been talked about that. We've sung about that. Jesus has set us free unto obedience. <clears throat> it says in verse 16 of our passage in Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now we learned last week in Chris's message on the first part of Romans 6 that if you're in Christ, then sin is no longer your master. You have been set free. It says so in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So if you are in Christ this morning, then sin 
cannot be your master. Sin can no longer be the ruling force in your life. We base that upon the promises of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So Paul says here, if you obey sin, then you're a slave to sin. And if you obey righteousness, then you are a slave to righteousness or a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Pastor Tony Morita puts it this way, the master we obey is evidence of who we are. The master whom we obey is evidence of whose we are. Which obviously then refutes the false idea that a person can truly be saved and belong to Jesus while at the same time living a life of sin no different than you lived before your profession of faith. That is what the New Testament clearly teaches, brothers and sisters. The New Testament teaches that it is impossible for a true believer in Christ who's been born again, who has repented of their sin, who's been justified by faith, and who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit to live a life under the control of sin and unrighteousness. There's many passages of Scripture which teach us that. One example would be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, towards the back of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And John addresses the believers here as little children. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Notice he doesn't say whoever sins at all, but whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And then verse 9, this is so crystal clear. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." So again here, the, the message is that it's impossible to have been born again of the Holy Spirit while at the same time continuing to live the kind of life that you lived prior to professing faith in Christ. Now, you might be thinking at this point, well, even as Christians, you know, we still sin. So how should I now view sin in my life? Well, it's true. We all sin every day in thought, in word, or in action, but again, it no longer dominates us. We are, a, again, a new creation in Christ. We have been set free. So how then should we view sin when it rears its ugly head in our lives as believers? What should our attitude towards sin be? Well, first of all, we need to see it as God sees it. God sees sin as a transgression or a violation of his commands. And it is the reason why Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and suffer an agonizing death on account of our sin, paying the penalty in full 
on our behalf. R.C. Sproul called sin cosmic treason. And I think that that's a really good explanation for sin. As believers, sin hinders our fellowship with God. It potentially cripples us in certain areas spiritually. And obviously it hinders our witness. So we must see sin as God sees it as believers. And as a result, we should hate sin, right? We should hate it when it rears its ugly head in our lives as Christians. The Apostle Paul wrestled with sin in his life, and he hated it. That's what it says over in, if you look at uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, where Paul wrestles with this whole idea that he, he does what he doesn't want to do, and he, and he doesn't do what he, what he desires. But it says here in verse 15 of Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do the very thing I hate. So again, you know, we need to view sin as God sees it. We need to hate it when we see it in our lives. And, and the true believer, brothers and sisters, will not coddle sin in our lives. We will not excuse it. We will not rationalize it away because it is an enemy to our souls. Commenting on the Christian attitude towards sin, and this is one of the most important quotes I've ever committed to memory. Commenting on the Christian attitude towards sin, theologian John Owen put it this way, sin in the believer is a burden that afflicts him, not a pleasure that delights him. That to me is one of the best quotations that I've ever committed to memory. Sin in the believer is a burden that afflicts him or her, not a pleasure that delights him or her. And so we must wage war against sin in our lives as believers. And even in the temptation stage, we need to wage war against sin. It, when you feel temptation sort of arising in your flesh and in your heart, claim the promises of God, like Chris read for us last week, that we are dead to sin and alive to God. You might say, well, I don't feel like I'm dead to sin and alive to God. That is a promise of God. Positionally, we are dead to sin and alive unto God. And then claim the, the, the promise that we read in Romans 6.14. Sin will no longer have dominion over me as a follower of Christ. So when you feel yourself being tempted, claim that promise. Sin shall not have dominion over me because I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. And then when you sense temptation in your life, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? Take the sword of the Spirit and hack up that temptation before it ever becomes sin. Jesus did that when Satan came to him in the wilderness and tempted him on three separate occasions. Jesus quoted Scripture back to him. That's another way that we can combat or war against sin before it ever becomes sin. Well, it's still in the stage of temptation. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Pastor Trevor, I believe, is going to be preaching on this. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
put to death the deeds of the body. Sinclair Ferguson said that he describes that as refusing sin, starving sin, and rejecting sin in our lives. And so in our war against sin, when, when we do sin in word or, or thought or action, we need to confess it to God. Keep short accounts with God. Confess it to him. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we need to repent. We need to turn from that sin, whatever it is. And then forsake that sin. Proverbs 28.13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so whenever sin raises its ugly head in our lives as Christians, we need to deal with it and deal with it right away. It's like weeds growing in your garden. You know, you don't want those weeds to continue to grow or they're going to get out of control. So you weed it before they get out of control. That's what we need to do with sin in our lives as well. Or as the famous Barney Fife said, nip it in the bud. That's what we need to do. We need to nip sin in the bud when we see it in our lives as believers. Well, as we move on then to verses 17 and 18, Paul suddenly erupts into praise. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Notice here again how Paul says, you were once slaves of sin. In other words, in that B.C. period of your life, before Christ, you were, past tense, a slave to sin, but that is no longer the case if you're in Christ. That is what I once was, but I'm not that anymore because of the saving, transforming power of Jesus Christ. We notice this similar before-after language in one other passage I'd like to look at, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And again, this is, this is very clear. Paul writes here to the Corinthian church where they were dealing with a lot of sin. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Notice that? Such were some of you. That's what characterized your life in B.C. But you're not that anymore. Such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul is saying here to these Corinthian believers, you were living in such areas of sin as, first, uh, for example, sexual immorality, fornication, any form of sex outside of marriage, which in our culture 
has become very acceptable. With, you know, for example, an unmarried man and woman will live together and, and commit acts of sexual immorality. It's become very acceptable. But that's not how God sees it. We see how God views it right here. Same with adultery. Same with men who practice homosexuality. Again, becoming very acceptable in our culture, but not according to God's word. Drunkenness is another one that's added here. But again, underline and, and highlight verse 11, the first part of verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we are not these things anymore when we are in Christ. You are no longer what you once were if you're a believer in Jesus. And so Paul rejoices here in Romans chapter 6 that though we were slaves to sin, that is not the case any longer. Because again, as he says here in uh, verse 17 of Romans 6, he says here that you were once slaves of sin, but you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So as followers of Jesus, we don't just obey outwardly out of a sense of duty. Oh, okay, you know, and I, I realize that obedience can be difficult at times. We don't always feel like obeying, but we obey not out of a sense of duty, but because our hearts have been transformed. We love God's word and we desire to obey God's word even as we combat sin and temptation in our lives, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We obeyed the dictates of the world before we came to Christ. Now we obey the gospel, the word of God, and we obey it from the heart. And then Paul says that they had become committed to the standard of teaching. He says you're committed to the standard of teaching in which you were, um, okay, you committed to that standard of teaching. So, in other words, it had claimed their allegiance. The teaching of the word, the teaching of the gospel had claimed their allegiance. In other words, they were all in, these followers of Jesus, totally committed, which should be true of all of us who are followers of Jesus. That's our desire here at Crossview, that we have on fire followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how about you? Are you all in? We see radicalized Muslims totally committed to their cause. Same with cults like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. But we have our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can set us free from our sins and from sin's bondage and deliver us into a life of freedom and joy and victory as his people, a life wholeheartedly committed unto him. As slaves of righteousness, as the scriptures say, we are now bond slaves of a new master, Jesus Christ, which is just another way of saying we are now his disciples. And what a difference there is between the bondage to sin and the devil that we were in to now where we serve a perfect master, Jesus Christ. And I realize that for some of you, you've been saved from a very young age and, and you grew up in a Christian home and praise God for his grace that sustained you 
through all of those years, saving you and sustaining you, and you continue to serve him. <coughs> Praise God for that. But again, what a difference there is between the bondage to sin and the devil that so many of us were in to now where we serve a perfect master, Jesus Christ. His heart is gentle and lowly, as it says in Matthew chapter 11. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And being Jesus Christ's bond slave is ironically the only place where true freedom can be found. That is the only place where true freedom can be found. People think that, well, yeah, I kind of like the, the forgiveness of sin part, and I really like the going to heaven part, but I kind of want to live however I want because I want to be free. That's not free. That's bondage. That's bondage. So, again, being Jesus' bond slave is ironically the only place where true freedom can be found. Freedom to enjoy him. Freedom to live for him. Freedom to obey him and to offer ourselves to him daily as living sacrifices. R.C. Sproul said, The only freedom that man ever has is when he becomes a slave to Christ. Sounds like a paradox, but it's true. The more we walk in the Spirit, the more we walk in obedience, the more victory and the more freedom that we have as followers of Jesus. Is that not what we all want? And so praise God that we are not what we once were because we have been set free for or unto obedience. Well, Paul next reminds us that we are not what we once were because of our strong desire to not want to go back to those things that we were before. Verses 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We don't want to go back there. Some of you might remember, uh, uh, she's still singing, I believe, Barbara Streisand, a singer and an actress. Uh, she sang a song called The Way We Were and actually was in a movie titled The Way We Were. Well, in verse 21, Paul prompts us to ask, do I remember the way I was in my B.C.? before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord? Do I remember that? Do I remember what it was like? In verse 20, Paul reveals that as unbelievers, we were not ultimately concerned about righteousness or obedience to God at all. And if you were like me, you could have cared less. My, my motto as a very out-of-control college student was, Who cares? That was my life's motto. Who cares? I wasn't at all concerned about God or righteousness or being responsible. In fact, my friends used to laugh at me over my irresponsible but carefree attitude. So I could have cared less at that moment, at that time in my life about God, righteousness, or even being responsible. But I care now. I care now that I belong to Jesus Christ. And, and often, even after all of these years... I lament the reckless, selfish, sinful decisions that I once made in my life, despite the fact that I know that I've been forgiven. John Newton, uh, many of you know, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He was a, a godly man, a godly pastor, wrote many hymns, actually, and uh, very well known to many even today. 
But John Newton, before he was saved, was a slave trader. And he used to captain slave ships and transport slaves from one part of the world to the other under the most horrendous conditions. People would die. Many of the slaves would die en route. They were treated absolutely terribly. And John Newton, even as a pastor later in life, lamented his wicked life as a slave trader. And so I'm sure his attitude was, as my attitude is, why would I want to go back to that? Why would I want to go back to what I once was? Again, verse 21 says here, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What, What benefit, what fruit was produced in my life before I came to Christ? If there was any, it was rotten, I can tell you that. On those rare occasions where I looked back fondly on those carefree days, and they're rare, but I've had a few over the years, I've remembered this verse. What possible benefit did I have? What fruit did I have in the things that I once did and in the life that I once lived? And the answer to that was none. Look at all that the Lord has done for me. Look at all that the Lord has done for you if you were in Christ. Why would you ever want to go back to the way it was? And so this should encourage every believer here this morning to not look back with fondness at your years before Christ. Rather, it should encourage you to greater holiness and greater obedience here and now. Verse 22 of Romans 6 says, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Well, we end this morning with a verse often used in sharing the gospel. It's part of the Romans road. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the good news, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, of course, cycles us back to the gospel again. It says, first of all here, the wages of sin is death. For the unbeliever who up to this point in their life has rejected Jesus Christ, the wages that they earn by their life of sin lived apart from Jesus Christ, the wages they're earning is death. Not just physical death, eternal death. Eternal separation from the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But, Again, the good news, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so notice that eternal death in hell is what we deserve through our life of sin and rebellion against God. But God offers the free gift of salvation to all who will repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So what's the takeaway from all of this as we close today. Well, for the Christian, rejoice in the Lord that you are not what you once were, saved by grace, being sanctified by grace, set free from bondage to sin unto heartfelt obedience to the Lord and a corresponding hatred of sin, all because of the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I would urge you today, walk in the freedom 
and the victory that is ours in Christ and see what the Lord will do with your life. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I don't think I have a B.C. and an A.D. in my life. I still obey and practice sin and unrighteousness. And what's worse? That I kind of enjoy it. Definitely not a burden that afflicts, but a pleasure that delights. And up to this point, I have no desire or intention to turn from it. What do I do? What do I do in my desperate situation? The message is clear. This is the message of the Lord to you. Repent. Turn from your life of sin and rebellion that currently characterizes every part of your life. Repent and flee to Jesus Christ. Do it this morning. Flee to Jesus Christ, believing that in his sacrificial death on the cross, he paid the penalty in full for your sin. And then commit yourself to following Jesus. When Jesus called disciples in the New Testament, he called them to follow him. We are called to follow Jesus Christ in love and in obedience. And again, that is the pathway to victory and freedom in our lives as Christians. So you are invited this morning. You are invited to come to the meek and lowly Jesus. Throw off the heavy yoke of bondage to sin that you might be carrying around. And through faith in Jesus Christ, be set free, becoming his bond slave, who, as he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will discover freedom and joy and peace like you have never known, and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 11. So what do we have? We have freedom from bondage and slavery, and we've been ushered in through faith in Christ to freedom and liberty and victory and peace and joy. And so you are being invited this morning to come to the meek and the lowly Jesus if you don't know him. If you do know him, rejoice that you have been set free. Let's pray.